Chili makes both the Chili Pad and Uller, two really cool products, pun intended, that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, Chili sleep systems help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. The Uller is controlled through an app on your phone with smart scheduling, a warm awake feature, and a UV light to auto-clean, while the Chili Pad is simply controlled using a remote. When you start using Chili Sleep Systems, you'll notice you fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. Whether you like to sleep a little warmer or cooler, you can customize the temperature for you and your side of the bed. Chili products offer a temperature range between 55 and 115 degrees Fahrenheit to suit every sleeper. And right now, Chili is offering my audience a great deal. When you go to chilitechnology.com news, you can get 20% off any sleep system with the code NEWS. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com news with code NEWS for 20% off any sleep system. Hello, VeloNews listeners. This is Dan Cavallari, tech editor at VeloNews, coming at you with another VeloNews tech podcast. And today I want to talk about pretty things. And so today we're talking about bicycle frames. They sure are gorgeous. And as as technology has gotten to a point where we're talking about minute differences in, in aerodynamics and weight and everything, uh, a lot of times uh, we we boil down our determination of what bike we should ride by, how it looks. Come on, we all just admit it. We all do it. <laughs> so it's it's kind of nice to have a cool looking bike. Let's if nothing else, right? But um, the way we the bikes look, uh, you know, both in terms of uh, the silhouette and also the way they've been painted in recent years has really changed. There's been some really interesting things being done with paint. So I kind of wanted to get a sense of what goes into not only the design uh, considerations but also how frames are specifically painted. Um, and so I, I reached out to our friends at Trek Bicycle, and today we're talking with Micah Moran, who is the senior product graphic designer at Trek. Micah, how's it going? It's going great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's nice to see uh, the the Trek background. I haven't been up there in a while, so it's uh, virtually on this computer screen. I can see just just hints of of the factory there. <laughs> yes, a little mural in the background here as they join you from the road conference room yeah. in Waterloo, Wisconsin. Yeah, right on. How's the weather up there? Is it is it sticky and gross and hot? Uh, it's quite beautiful, actually. We we oscillate from really hot and humid, but most of the time it's been really pleasant summer getting on the bicycle a lot. Nice. Lucky you, man. We're Right now in Colorado, we're about 100 degrees and everything's on fire. So <laughs> a little smoky here. <laughs> uh, Micah, you know, you how, first of all, how long have you been with Trek uh, in your current role? Uh, current role, I've been uh, on the product development um, and the graphic paint side of things for four years. I've been at Trek for eight, um, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of a graphic designer by trade and started out uh, designing for marketing, doing um, a little bit of web digital stuff, but ultimately uh, just love of the bicycle and wanting to design on that canvas led me over to uh, what I do now today, which is designing most of uh, the road bikes and Project One bicycles that you see from Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to give our audience a little bit of a sense of of who you are artistically, I mean, give me give me a little quick rundown of, you know, where you came from in terms of developing your own style. Um, what were some of your influences? Where did you where did you start to understand the idea of graphic design and and before you started to translate that to bicycle design? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, oddly enough, I kind of came from a, a background in journalism and worked in the newspaper uh, trade. You're one of us. You're yes, one of I us. <laughs> I'm one of you at heart. Um, 
yeah, and, and converted over to designing uh, for publications and really just that path of design. Um, you know, really think about the content, the story, the message, and the meaning. That's important to me from that background as a, as a bit of a storyteller. So uh, for me, design with context means a lot, and I try and bring that um, with me to uh, the work that I do, uh, on bicycles and for Trek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our audience has probably seen some of your work. Um, can you tell me a few specific instances of bikes that you've worked on that people might recognize, uh, if they've been watching racing for a while? Sure. Definitely. Um, a lot of work with our race team. So most of what you see underneath the Trek Segafredo, uh, men's and women's teams are designs that I would have worked on. Um, do a lot of kind of targeted work with some of our athletes. So, um, you know, current people like Katie Compton, Sven Nice, or former riders like Contador, Dagen Kalb, and some of the schemes that uh, that they would have ridden underneath them. Uh, work with uh, all of our cyclocross programs and design those as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then within Project One, uh, kind of came up with the icon and designer series. So those are some of the things that uh, I work on on a daily basis. Um, So yeah, quite a few of what you see out there in the world, um, especially road Mm -hmm. and E1 would be the things that, uh, yeah, I had a hand in. Cool. Uh, And we're going to get into project one and icon in a moment, but uh, you know, stepping back, what about things like, um, you know, when a, when a rider, fetches a yellow jersey at the tour, you know, are you involved in, in, you know, we, we've, it's basically become standard practice in recent years that that person gets a yellow bike of some sort. Um, have you been involved in those designs and when, when does that actually happen? Does that happen before the tour even starts? Yeah, it's, uh, every case is a little different and there's definitely a team of people who work on that to kind of plan out, uh, what we're doing and, um, to the technical liaisons with the team, people like Matt Shriver and working with them for kind of what we anticipate and what we can't anticipate mm-hmm. and making sure we have plans for what we think could happen and what, you know, there's always the instances where we're really delighted and excited to um, have that opportunity. Uh, but we have a lot of paint resources here on uh, on site. So our ability to turn something really quickly is um is, is, is very good. So we mm-hmm. can do those fast turn things and, um, hop on a plane and carry them over, uh, overnight if we need to. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's definitely a balance. Every, every instance is its own little story mm-hmm. that we could probably do a whole podcast on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely takes a lot of people, uh, pitching in to do those fast turn projects. Um, but we have that plan in place, uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. I want to talk uh, a little bit about the evolution of, of, painting bicycle frames. And I know you, you know, you've, you've only been at track for only been at track for eight years <laughs> only. Um, but you know, you know, years ago before carbon really hit the scene, I mean, painting a frame was different. Uh, it was a different, you know, it was a different frame material. So it, it necessitates a different process. And I, I do remember, uh, my first time at Trek was back in 2000 and I want to say two or three. Uh, and you know, I was working for a bike shop and uh rose bike shop or no main yeah nice. um and I, I distinctly remember walking through the factory on a tour and seeing, you know, the process of, of bonding the, the carbon. And then it goes to the paint booths where it was just like it looked like they were just spray painting it. <laughs> clearly, that's not the, the, the process. Um, so let's talk a little bit about where we were, you know, how were frames painted back in the day, as far as you understand. And then how are they painted today? What's the process look like for a carbon frame? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you hit on exactly just the, the differences of carbon and carbon um, from the early times of when we had carbon fiber frames to now has has changed a little bit. But that process for painting a carbon frame is different than, say, um, steel, titanium, aluminum, um, in that you need something with a really low temperature cure cycle. So that's a polyurethane uh, paint. So that's uh, kind of been the norm for our carbon frame. So each coat you put on there, you want it to cure, you want it to harden, you want it to be ready for that next stage, and you can't bake that too high. So mm. that's that's been a little bit the standard, but I think that process has probably really changed quite a bit from when you first would have seen that. Um, the prep work that goes into a carbon frame um, is incredibly important. The finishing is a pretty long process. It's a series of five steps where that frame is blasted and pre-finished and you have all different types of fillers to make sure that you have a beautiful canvas. And I think that's one place where that prep work into a carbon frame uh, that goes into it means um, a whole lot in the end product. Mm -hmm. uh, especially now, um, the carbon fiber and its directional layups and the different ways that a carbon frame is built now means a lot of different shapes and being able to kind of control those and get a raw carbon look that if you're doing a, a tinted or smoked carbon bike is that it's going to show beautiful carbon has really evolved a lot too. Mm -hmm. uh, you, there's no room for putting fillers or cutting corners in some of that. So that's definitely a change um, in how we prep those uh, bikes and even really develop working with the industrial design team and the engineers to make sure that we have beautiful looking carbon that you would want to show off. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously not everything's going to be a raw carbon. Most bikes are painted, but that's definitely been a change in evolution over um, the years on how we work on carbon. Mm -hmm. Now you said uh, the low cure temperature is, is key here. Uh, I want to, I want to backstep there because uh, you know, in the, in the past when frames were metal, you know, that wasn't as much of a consideration because you can heat up metal more than you can carbon when when you heat up a carbon frame like that what exactly is the worry there i mean is it the is it the carbon itself the carbon fibers or is it the um the other bonding agents and things like that the that that are at risk of breaking down yeah mostly it's the other bonding agents so we again keep that a really low temperature it's just enough to let that um uh, polyurethane paint uh, also called like aircraft paint um so let that cure but yeah, exactly. Like other temperature, other materials you could take to higher temperature. Um, say like powder coating is maybe more common on like a steel bike where you can take that up to 350 degrees and not worry about it. You certainly can't do that um, with carbon. So again, now I've seen, like I said, I've been to Trek many times now. And um, one of the things that's changed since the first time I've gotten, since the first time I traveled up to Madison to, to check out the factory was that it's like quadrupled in size. <laughs> <laughs> it's now this, you know, labyrinthine uh, place that I, you know, I couldn't find my way around without a guide. <laughs> um, so which really speaks to how much Trek has grown, but also how much more complicated it's become to build a bicycle uh, and manufacture it. But one of the things that has kind of remained the same is that you know, back in 2002, 2003, when I was there, you know, people were there spraying paint at a frame. And today you go there and there's booths and they're spraying paint at a frame. Um, it can't be that simple. Tell me, tell me what that process is actually doing. What are they actually doing? How are they applying this paint? Um, you know, what is, what is the process from start to finish? 
Yeah, you're absolutely right about that expansion. Um, really, our paint facility here at Waterloo has grown and grown and grown, and it takes a lot of people um, to make what we do in Project One. Um, you know, some of that hasn't changed all that much. In between there, there's been some some technology um, technology advances. Um, as you may have seen here, we had. Um, um, some automated systems, but really it's, we've returned to a lot of hand painted frames because we spend a lot of time working with the painters. There's incredibly talented, uh, painters that go through a very long process to, uh, become a, a project one painter. And, uh, that attention to detail and craft is far superior than, um, some of the alternatives. So it still is a, a lot of people in booths um, spraying, but um, you know, also to come and visit uh, here at Waterloo, you actually, you know, you'd be surprised that there is all that. It's a very kind of clean process. My mm -hmm. my office is down the hall from a paint facility, and you know, your nose would never tell you. So uh, that look and feel has changed a lot too. Um, the technologies that have gone into making sure that it's a it's a clean and environmentally friendly process um, has definitely changed the look of things. It's very bright, uh, open space where the painters are working. But um, yeah, you would expect change, but actually <laughs> that craft and that um, you know what what can occur from lots of years of craftsmanship and skill is is hard to replace yeah yeah working from hand by hand is working by hand right like you it's it's the same essential process just probably updated methods and, and materials um but i do have a question so now you know we're gonna like i said we're gonna get to project one in a moment which is trek's more custom uh paint facility and or paint operation i should say um but you know you guys do a lot of different frames that don't come out of the project one uh, uh program is the process different for something like an entry-level bike or even like a mid-level bike? You know, you're getting into the thousands of dollars. Um, is the process of painting those frames different or do those frames already come to you pre-painted? Yeah, um, I think for us, that process for what we do to, to kind of go back to that, there's a lot of the, the knowing is in the doing. Yeah. Um, so what we can learn, we actually can share with, with others. So... Um, the processes do change a little bit as you go from place to place. Um, but really having the, the facilities here enables us to make sure we're developing colors, um, that hit certain targets and then share that information outward. So there is some, um, it's can be a two way, uh, learning process as well, but there's lots of complexity with that. And you're certainly right. Like every project, every bicycle is a little bit different, but, um, for the most part, at the end of the day, there's somebody, uh, individually painting that frame and putting that craftsmanship into it, whether it's uh, here or elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the other frames, uh, are not machine painted. Uh, there are machine painting processes, but, um, no, actually a lot of, uh, the bicycles are maybe, you know, um, still being, uh, individually painted by a person. Cool. Cool. So, um, we're going to take a, a quick break here. And then when we get back, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, Trek's project one, uh, program. Uh, you're going to learn about that as well as the icon uh, line of, of uh, paint jobs, uh, which which I believe was your brainchild. Yes, Micah, or, or am I giving uh, you too much credit? That's correct. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll hear all about that in just a moment. Uh, but first, we're going to hear from our wonderful sponsors for today's show. 
Chili makes both the Chili Pad and Uller, two really cool products that fit over the top of your mattress and use water to control the temperature of your bed. Since water is more thermally efficient than air, Chili Sleep Systems help lower your internal temperature to trigger deep, relaxing sleep. Right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to ChiliTechnology.com news, you can get 20% off any sleep system with code NEWS. That's C-H-I-L-I Technology.com news with code NEWS for 20% off any sleep system. Okay, we are back with Micah Moran from Trek. And Micah, uh, I want to jump into, you know, Trek was probably not the first to offer custom, uh, you know, paint jobs. I, I don't know who the first brand was to do that. But Trek has certainly made a name for itself um, because you have those in-house facilities. Um, and Project One was born uh, out of the idea of offering such you know, custom paint jobs and, and, and other touches uh, to offer your more high-end customers. Can you uh, just briefly explain what exactly Project One is and how it, how it came about? Yeah, Project One is a tool to create a dream bicycle. It really offers customization, and customization can take many forms. That might be um, from the part side of things and making sure you get the right saddle and handlebar and sizes of uh, crank arm length that you need. Um, but also, and I think probably most outwardly, we see that in, in color, the ability to choose your own colors to get a bike that is very suited to you, your personality, um, your tastes. Um, so there's a, a lot of different tiers and programs within Project One, but ultimately it's all about customization, um, whether you're picking a pre-configured uh, Project One Now or Select Bike, which is a range of um, you know a half dozen bicycles that um, all vary a little bit, but you go deeper in color than, say, you might on... Um, a mainline bike where there might just be an A or B or C choice with a few decisions. Um, so you get that starting breath. And then you can go into Signature. Uh, signature allows you to select the color wherever you want within a given scheme. So mm. you can change the color of the Trek logo. You can change the colors on the top tube or however the scheme, the design uh, works. And then from there, we have some new kind of premium spaces that we've uh, played in in the last few years. One of those is Project One Icon. Icon is really about premium paint and processes and um, our hand-painted bikes like we talked about here in Waterloo where those are really also tapping into the painter's skill and eye and craft attention for detail. Uh, and with that, we're able to bring in some paint processes and materials that you maybe want to access uh, through mainline bicycles. Mm -hmm. And then just this year is a designer series, which will be an ongoing uh, collaboration with different artists and designers, um, kind of bringing their own sense of style and patterning uh, to a few of our models. Mm -hmm. Now, I've seen a lot of these icon paint jobs and a lot of Project One paint jobs. And the neat thing to me is that um, you are able and, and I've seen, you know, hints of this in other brands as well. Um, but, you know, you guys are really able to bring a unique aesthetic to the way a bike is finished. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier in the show uh, that I would love to know how you guys do do this is um, sort of that that open weave carbon showing through the color itself so you you know you you have a specific color you know say your bike is you know green or emerald green or something but you can still see that carbon weave through it how, how do you do that yeah that's a it's a tint or a die coat would be another uh, word for it but um 
all bikes need a, a clear coat to last or mm-hmm. protect. So uh, in most cases, that's like a gloss or a matte or a satin finish on the top. Uh, but by just mixing a little bit of a transparent uh, color, that's how you can then turn your what would be just a black carbon bike, but you're now you're going to pick up traces of blue or red or whatever the the top coat uh, application is. Mm-hmm. And the other one that I'm just absolutely baffled by <laughs> is the uh, the reflective uh, paint jobs, which, you know, I, the first time I saw that was on a Trek, and then I've seen other brands do something similar so that, you know, clearly that's something that has been appealing to a lot of customers. Tell me, tell tell first of all, tell the audience what reflective is and how you guys do it. Sure. Reflective uh, itself is the name of a scheme that has a, a flip color. So if you're not familiar with the flip color, they're also called chameleon, um, a lot of different types of names out there for this paint that when you view from one angle, it has what we call the color in the flip or the flop. And then moving to the other side, you have the other um, end of it. So that might be like a purple to a green or a red to a blue. But in the middle, that bike might seem purple in between a red and a blue. But as you walk one way, you're getting the blue, a little more of the red. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by, by flip colors. Um, and then the reflective uh, pulls in some reflectivity to it. So the Trek logo is raised. It looks three-dimensional on that. So you can start to see it underneath the paint because it catches the light a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But then with a flash of light on it, that Trek logo illuminates um, because the reflective properties of the, the decal underneath there shines through that coat of paint. Mm. Um, yeah, there's also a lot more that kind of goes on to it. Amplified Alchemy is another scheme in, in Project One that then starts to take uh, colors in the flip and combine them with tinted chromes and other colors that are stable to really just kind of trick the eye. At least these bikes, I would say, you know, they look great on the website and there's videos, but it really takes experiencing them and walking around them to see how dynamic and transformative they are. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've had friends of mine, you know, when I first I was riding a Madone with the the reflective uh, paint scheme on it. And they would say, hey, well, what's up with that purple bike that you had? And I'd be like, you mean the orange one? And they'd say, no, 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 the purple. And then I said, bring it out. And they said, oh, no, no, I meant the orange one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's really it's a mind trip to see it happening in real time. It's really cool. Um but, you know, from a technical aspect, as somebody who, you know, not me, but somebody who's, you know, a serious weight weenie, uh, you know, what what kind of weight does does uh, a custom paint job like this add to a bike? And, you know, is it any different than your standard paint paint jobs? Is that, I mean, what does a standard paint job uh, add in terms of weight? That's a great question. And weight is something that we keep in mind. And there there is a gamut of the range range from a lightweight scheme to, you know, nothing we put out there, you can only build up so many coats of paint before your tolerances don't actually work. So the more paint that goes onto something, yes, is true. It can be more weight, but also being smart about how the paint is applied and um, how paints layer on top of each other is really part of that process too, to keep that in weight down. So to answer your question about uh, weights, um, Every frame's a little different, like surface area is going to change a lot. So something like an Amanda for us, as it grows more aero, a little more surface area, but it's not the same as, say, a speed concept, where you have lots of surface area. Mm-hmm. So to throw at numbers 
it really targets to an individual kind of platform. But around about 40 grams is what um, a typical application of a coat of paint, or in some cases like that clear coat. So mm -hmm. to, to start at that baseline on some frames, you know, you're looking at about that 40 grams to protect the bike, uh, but also to add, you know, maybe that tint to it. Um, or if you're looking at just single stage colors, um, you're not looking at that much more. Mm -hmm. There are colors that actually are a little heavier than others. White is one of them. It has more pigment in it. Um, and then there are sometimes really bright colors might need a color base underneath mm. of it. So, you know, ultimately you're not getting more than a few coats um, mm. of paint anywhere on that. And there's those limits set, but you can kind of then extrapolate what some of those weight ads are. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask a little bit of a dummy question. So if white is a heavy color, does that mean black is a really light color? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, white, white, just because, yeah, anything that's bright or really, um, you know, needs to block out what's underneath it. You know, you probably experienced that if you're painting, you yeah. know, white uh, on your house and the, the color was dark before yeah. that. You got to put some coats on there. So <laughs> that's why it just needs to, yeah. it needs to hide what's underneath it before yeah. you can start building upon it. Mm -hmm. You just brought up a little bit of my homeownership PTSD. It was like having flashbacks. Um, now, it's important to note for those of you listening, and I don't know that there's anybody out there that would do this. I, I hope not. But, you know, if you're sitting here going, oh, it adds 40 grams to my, I'm going to scrape mine off. Don't go sanding your frame, please. <laughs> for God's sakes, don't go, don't go trying to get the paint off. Uh, there's a reason that clear coat is there. And that's uh, largely to, like, like Micah said, to protect your frame. Uh, and, you know, the paint also, I guess, serves that purpose as well to an extent uh, beyond just making it look pretty. So, yes, please don't go scraping off the paint of your really expensive bike. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this has been a public service announcement. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the paint themselves, the paints themselves. Like, uh, yeah, and I don't know if this is stuff you can tell me. I hope it is. But where do you get your paints? Um, you said it's a poly polyurethane paint. Does environmental friendliness factor into uh, the choices you make about how you paint your frames? Yeah, um, it does. And I think, you know, back to that original question about change is that change that's happened over the past decade is really about um, limiting the VOCs in yeah. a paint. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably most people, home ownership, ownership, you probably know about Voltor organic compounds that you're putting on there. And that's no different, um, you know, in any type of paint. So the paints are getting safer and better and cleaner. But for us, I think that is um, definitely where our future thoughts lie with a lot of our environmental initiatives here at Trek is how do you make that um, a cleaner process? Um, but uh, to get to the paints themselves, um, we use um, a variety of different paints that we buy from different suppliers. Um, but um, for the most part, there's kind of a standard um, of colors in the automotive industry that we can use as uh, starting points or blueprints, if you will. Uh, if you see a car rolling down the highway and it catches your eye and you can see what that model is, you can look it up in a database and you can start to pull that color. So automotive paints um, from the auto industry and looking at what they're doing is, um, you know, one place where we're getting things from. Then you get into kind of like the custom car and hot rod places where you start getting a little bit more of the blingier and showy aspects of paint. So mm -hmm. those are places that we uh, can look to, too. Uh, but then there's a 
lot of just tinkering that goes on uh, for us on a prototype basis where we want to kind of come up with a new color to match something. So we're taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and um, matching them and putting them together until we come up with the recipe we want. Then we can take that to a paint supplier who can reproduce it for us. Mm -hmm. And so when, when a frame reaches the end of its life um, and it's, it's bound for a landfill, I mean, uh, you know, is the paint, does the paint and the clear coat, do those factor into environmental um, concerns on that end of it? Or do you even know? I mean, in other words, you know, is this paint going to leach into the ground? I mean, what I'm basically trying to get at, like, what are we actually buying? And I think that's a consumer question that a lot of people really overlook, you know, like, yeah, it looks cool. It's awesome. And, and then, you know, everybody in the brand side says, yes, we've done this to make sure it's environmentally responsible. But I think we don't think about the end of the life as much. Um, does that factor in as well to, to the decisions you guys make about the paint? Yeah, we have a team of people who do audit kind of the whole process, and we look at the bicycle as an entire ecosystem and the life cycle of that. So paint's definitely part of what they look at. Um, so it's considered in the entirety of the bicycle and the integrity of what we do with it at the end of use. But, um, you know, for the most part, I, I personally haven't seen too much that's come out, um, you know, in terms of paint specifically, uh, versus just looking at the whole bicycle and what it, uh, its impact is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've seen a lot of cool things come out of Trek and, and frankly from other brands too, recently with, with different paint jobs, with custom stuff. Uh, it's really, it's really exciting every year, especially usually around the tour, um, because that's, that's when we tend to see the most, amount of customization um you know everybody wants to impress uh since the tour is a little later this year i don't know if it'll be as impactful or as as uh, overwhelming with custom paint jobs like we've seen in the past but uh perhaps i don't know if you can share with us what's what's coming next i mean you guys have come up with some pretty incredible paint jobs with the icon with project one um i, re I specifically remember john dagen kolb's line of bikes when he was with the team uh, that were just beautiful beautiful bikes um and then last year at the tour in Belgium, uh, you know, I got a great photo of Tom Scoinch holding up his, uh, I don't know what the color scheme is called, but it's like this blood red with black. It's really cool. Um, you probably know off the top of your head what, what that color is called. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that was the molten, molten marble bicycle molten marble. Uh, that was the icon that, yeah, they rode last year yeah. um, at the tour and then and beyond. Um, yeah, so I think to kind of answer, yeah, project one for us is a showcase of customization and you'll continue to see a lot of, uh, project one bicycles from us underneath our athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, the delaying of the, the tour and Olympics and things like that definitely threw a wrench into, um, some programs, but you'll, you'll certainly see some new customization, um, from us underneath, uh, athletes. It's a yeah. major races coming up. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, you talked about what the future is. Um, I think for us, that is looking at the environmental impact of things. Um, uh, and for us, Icon is really that flywheel of development for what's what's next and new. And mm -hmm. we're looking at a lot of new technologies that we'll bring in-house and then ultimately hope to just trickle those, those designs um, mm -hmm. onto the rest of our product as well, too, so that, um, you know, anybody can have kind of a blingy looking bicycle that's the look they're going for and then we'll always try to supply a really safe and steady option for them as well just to make sure you're catching the balance of customers mm -hmm. i have a, a specific 
art school type uh, assignment for you. Are you ready? You're gonna make. I a, got it. All right. All right. Project one icon Dan Cavallari edition. And the three elements. Okay, three very important elements. One, the major the major design element, a beer gut. Uh, the second design element has to have burritos somewhere in in the paint. Uh, and third is this luscious locks that I'm sporting with my COVID haircut, the hair, just curly Italian hair down, down here. Those are the three design elements that you have to somehow work into the next project one icon. Okay. Well, you're in luck. We have a program called project one, Ultimate, which is for people <laughs> just like you in those asks and requests. And that's been, um, you know, actually a growing part of, um, seeing more and more people coming to it. And what that offers is basically, Anybody can um, come to Trek and start that conversation and work directly one-on-one with the designer. Uh-huh. Um, believe it or not, there's things people want to go beyond what's <laughs> the you know billions of options within the color picker on Project yeah. One's website, and you can get exactly that. We'll fit it all on the bicycle the, for you, and it'll be a tribute to yourself. The, the Dan's Twisted Ego paint job. I want you all, all <laughs> you listeners, I want you to start bombarding Trek and, and requesting that. The Dan's Twisted Ego paint job. <laughs> Enough people ask, we might do it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there into the universe and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, uh, before we wrap up here, is there anything about paint, the process, uh, or anything uh, that we've talked about today that uh, we need to tell the listeners that we've forgotten to talk about? I think we've hit on a lot, um, but definitely just uh, knowing that the process is, it takes time and it takes a lot of craft. Like I get to, you know, take my designs and, you know, spin them up on a computer and put them on a prototype, but just many, many people that it takes to bring that to life, um, the paint team, the developers and everybody else. It's, it's a huge process. So we hope that that's, um, you know, recognized as people look a little bit beyond what they see on, on their bicycle. It really just takes, um, a team and a lot of players to bring, uh, the designs to life. Cool. Micah, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate you, uh, spending the time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah. It's been fun. For those of you listening, uh, if you have questions about this podcast or any of the other podcasts in the Velo News atmosphere, please do feel free to reach out to me on uh, Instagram or Twitter. That is at Brown Tie Dan. You can also email me, dcavallari, at velonews.com. And if, of course, if you have uh, suggestions for topics you'd like me to cover on the show, I am absolutely happy to hear them uh, so that I can pester guys like uh, Micah and tear him away from his actual work to babble with me for a half hour. Uh, Micah, thanks again. And for all of you listening, thank you for listening to us today. We'll catch you next time.